0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. The title of today's podcast is "Why Overturning Tables Is a Matter of Life and Death." I'm going to be sharing a message uh, from this tremendous text of Scripture found in Mark 11, when Jesus actually goes into the Temple of Jerusalem and starts overturning tables. Now, I've been studying the Gospel of Mark for the past three to four months in my morning prayer times, and I have found myself stopped by God on this text because of all that's in it and around it. I mean, there's just so much here. I mean, Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and the place he goes to is the temple where God dwells in the Holy of Holy, the place where people come from all over the world or are meant to come from all over the world to meet God. And he doesn't go to Rome to meet with the emperor, he doesn't go to the Senate, he doesn't go to the buildings of political power in Jerusalem or to Herod's palace. He goes to the temple. Uh, and why? Because I mean, aren't there greater issues happening in the world than what's happening in these within these four walls of a this incredible religious building? And the answer is no, there is nothing greater in the world happening. Uh, uh, the temple and now the, the church, the church is the most important institution in the world. The most important place in the world is the church. Uh, that's why judgment in Ezekiel 9 begins at the sanctuary of God. Uh, the church has a prophetic calling, we have a prophetic destiny, we're meant to be a taste of heaven for the world. Uh, that's why you are so important, and our churches are so important, our ministries, and there's so much warfare that goes on around the church. But Jesus walks into the temple and he is appalled. Uh, he sees the business going on, and and while the temple is magnificent externally, on the outside it's not bearing any fruit. Uh, and he knows it's meant to be a place of prayer for all nations, he quotes uh, scripture. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. In other words, this is the one place uh, where people are to come into the court of the Gentiles. Anyone can come in and, and meet God. But Jesus finds barriers, uh, business going on. And so I hope you'll ask yourself as you listen to this message, you know, what most angers or appalls Jesus in the church at this time? And what might we be doing uh, as leaders in keeping people from him? It makes me want to listen. It makes me want to discern. Uh, as Paul says in First Corinthians 13, you know, each one of us should build with care uh, in referring to the church. And he says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? I mean, just the amazing realities that through the blood of Jesus now, there is a something called the body of Christ in the world, a place where Holy Spirit dwells. And people are to come touching us and and, and getting access to the living God. So I make two applications in this sermon, as you'll hear in just a few minutes. What tables might uh, Jesus be overturning in the church today? That's one question. And then secondly is what tables might Jesus be seeking to overturn in your life and in my life personally, like now? So let me invite you to uh, uh, check out a vision of what the church is meant by God to look like. And uh, we have an ebook called Church Culture Revolution. What it might look like if the tables are actually removed in the church, and I lay out six marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives. Just go to www.emotionallyhealthy.org slash churchculture. That's www.emotionallyhealthy.org slash churchculture. So let me invite you now to uh, sit back or run back or wherever you are right now and to listen to this message Uh, entitled, Why Overturning Tables is a Matter of Life and Death. And I pray it feeds you. I pray it challenges you. I pray it ignites prayer and passion, the passion of Jesus for his church globally. Uh, And you'll have the same passion Jesus has of removing blockages so that we will become more and more a place where people meet God as the body of Christ. Blessings. Enjoy this message, everyone. Here it comes. This goes to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, beginning at verse 15. And our theme this evening is called Making Room to Overturn Tables. And we're on a series on uh, Marks of the Kingdom. If you need a Bible, raise your hands and we'll give you one. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. And a great text here. And it's the great uh, story of Jesus overturning the tables and that famous story of him entering the temple uh, of Jerusalem. So let's read together, beginning at verse uh, 15. Thus says the Lord, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written... My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching, and when evening came, they went out of the city. Amen. You know, early coal miners out in the West uh, they didn't have the special equipment we have today. Uh, that when they would go into a mine, they, they had to measure the gas, the, the poisonous gas in, in the air. And so they couldn't tell if it was growing to a dangerous level. Now, I was out in Colorado this summer, and I was in this town. I saw this big statue to these miners, and then this picture, uh, or this other statue, of a canary in a cage. And uh, it went like this, the story, you know, it, it, what, they, what they used to do these miners is, uh... They, they were very sensitive to canaries to carbon monoxide so they would bring these singing lively canaries in these cages into into the mine and uh... they would be singing and obviously making noise all day long but if the carbon monoxide levels got really high the, the you know the canary would start to swoon you know and eventually psh, die. and they knew at that point they got to get out of there as quickly as possible and before there was an explosion but for the most part they, the, these miners were going in there in those times looking for gold and really, I think it's a great image for us because there are certain um, invisible forces that kill us. And we don't see them until sometimes it's too late. And this story really is about a gold mine. A gold mine is the, is the love of God, the presence of God, the, the person of Jesus. And as we move into that space, there are poisonous gases, in a sense, that seek to cut us off and actually kill us in the process. So we're going to look at that in just a moment in, in this great passage. And uh, this event of Jesus coming into the temple and driving people out is so important that it's in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every Gospel looks at it from a different angle. There's so much in it in so many angles. And, and one of the great themes is this one word that's used in all the Gospels. When Jesus goes in this temple, it says, he is, in verse 15, he, is, he begins to drive out those who are buying and selling. And the word driving out is the word exbalo, which is the word used for Jesus driving out demons. And so it's a very forceful, powerful word. Now, he's not driving out demons. He's driving out some people who are like poisonous gas. But it uses this, this, really, this almost like ferocious, violent word as he goes in there. Because what's going on is so intense and must be dealt with in a very intense way as if, as if there's something demonic you're going up against, you know, to drive out. And so the story here is about this court of the Gentiles and and the great temple of Jerusalem in Jesus' day was one of the wonders of the world. And uh, it dominated the whole city landscape in Jerusalem. And and again, for for, for any Israelite, the the temple was was the center of national life. It was the place where God dwelled, the center of true worship, the place where you you met God. And so, uh, as some of you know, the temple was divided up into three areas. It was called an outer court or court of the Gentiles. That's what you see. And then behind the wall would be what's called the Uh, uh, the holy place where only Jewish men would be allowed to go. And then within that was a third category called the Holy of Holies, where only one high priest once a year could go into and be in the very presence of God. But this court of Gentiles was a really big, really actually a massive area outside that anybody could go into. And uh, uh, lame, blind, broken, you know, lepers, anybody could go in there, you know, and and meet with God. And and so, uh, in fact, during Passover, which this is during Passover, Uh, they say Jerusalem would would swell to four to five times its normal size as pilgrims would come from all over the country to Jerusalem. And uh, it was very loud and noisy because people had to basically buy their sacrifices of sheep and goats and doves and what it may be. And so as one scholar says, in one week, uh, they they would easily sell and they would sell and people would buy and they would slay 225,000 lambs alone. That's That's a lot of squealing in one place, in one outer court. So it gives you a sense that it was a very noisy place, kind of like Wall Street, the trading floor, would be. Just a lot of action going on here uh, in that outer court. And this is a place where non-Jews, the Gentiles, the nations would show up, okay, to meet God, to to pray, to connect with God. And uh, it was a place of communion with God, a place of experiencing His love. And, uh, And so the religious leaders, to help people coming into this outer court, Because they didn't have animals themselves to sacrifice according to the law of Moses. They didn't have the salt and the wine, all the ingredients they needed. So they set up these booths, these concession booths, kind of like in a mall, you've got these kind of booths along the way. And so you'd buy your lamb or your goat or your dove, what it might be. And it started out with a good purpose. But then what happened over time was, was, you know, profit began to be made. And it began to be kind of like a little business on the side, and so you also had to exchange your money there. For you had Roman money that was kind of pagan, with a Caesar's you know image on the coin. Get rid of that and buy some good Israeli shekels, you know, to to be some holy money. And so, ah, by the way, it's a twenty-five percent markup rate. And ah, yeah, I know you can buy the lamb a little bit cheaper out there, but here we're going to charge you double because this is a holy lamb you're going to sacrifice before God. You know how it all goes. And and so basically it became a business. And and so Jesus walks in this. Here, and he looks in his outer court. And I got to imagine thousands and thousands of people. Okay, and all the noise and all the tumult and all the commotion. And he sees that this that, that thing has gotten switched around. And he, he's appalled. He's outraged. And uh, that, that, that the court of the Gentiles, this area, which was supposed to be for people to experience the love of God. As Jesus says here, he, this, is, this is the summary of his message. It says here in verse 17, that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. And by house of prayer, what he's saying is this was a place for communion with God. Now, there's all kinds of prayer. We have lots of names for prayer. We have prophetic prayer, intercessory prayer, worship is prayer, confession is prayer, thanksgiving is prayer, centering prayer. But at essence, all prayer is one thing. Prayer is communion. Prayer is relationship with the living God. Prayer is a personal relationship with him. And 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 it's it's living and moving in His love. It's attentive to Him, and it's this connection of relationship. That's the essence of prayer. And Jesus is saying is, "My house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations, all people." Israel was given the revelation in order to be a gift to the world, the nations. Now we've got a number of Jewish believers here in our midst, and we thank God for you. <laughs> but most of us here are Gentiles, I presume. We're, we're the nations. And Jesus is saying, these, this place was supposed to be a place of meeting God, of of entering into his love, and you've made it a den of robbers, you've made it a business, you've got all these tables set up, and uh, it's a mess. And what's interesting here, he, he knows the fact that Jesus is driving out, okay, those who are buying and selling. He's, he starts overturning tables. Okay, you've got a picture of the here, just creating a bit of a commotion here. And of the money changers, and even of the benches of those selling doves. Now it's interesting; it makes a note of the doves because the doves were the sacrifice that poor people used—the lepers, women, uh, folks who were criminals, uh, the, the, the lame, the poor. This was this was this what actually Mary and Joseph sacrificed doves. I mean, this was and, and Jesus goes right after it because these people were not getting access to God so Jesus. You know, he recognized that he pushes that table over as well. And so for the leadership, when they see what Jesus is doing, they're outraged. In verse 18, they say, we've got to kill this Jesus. You know, they are not going to go with this change of changing the system. And they plot to then then kill him. Now, if you look at all the Gospels, they, they come at it differently. But Luke does something really interesting. Because right before Jesus walks in the temple, it says he looks at Jerusalem, and it says he sees the people, he sees what's going on, and he weeps. It's quite an image. He's weeping over people. Because, again, he is the Lord himself coming into the temple. And uh, he's, it's a sign of sadness for people's blindness because they don't realize what's going on. And he's realizing the consequences that are going to come as a result as well. And it says this, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. He says, I'm coming to bring you peace. I'm coming to, to bring blessing and bring life. Uh, but, um, you don't see it. And then he goes on, the days will come when your enemies, and he gives you, Jerusalem's going to fall. This whole temple is going to get wiped out, says Jesus. And they will not leave one stone on another. And then he's got this great line at the end. There's going to be consequences because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. That's a phenomenal phrase that the time is the word, the word, you did not recognize God's time. There's There's two words for time. In Greek, one is just chronological time, like you know, right now it's six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock. That's time. But there's another, another very important word in the Bible used for time. It's 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 like the moment, the, the, the God's moment, God's season, God's intervention. That there's times when God comes into our lives. God's coming to you. It's it's a it's a time of God. It's a time for change. It's a visit. And He says, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you, and He's weeping here and um and you have gotta this sadness of jesus and this weeping is about a loss it's a, it's a it's, a, it's a, the loss of this 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 relationship because he came for communion with us and with the people of this day he came for union and communion and and this love relation he goes you're missing it and uh i mean this is worth the whole message just this one point just think of your life for a moment Jesus so wants, for you and for me, he so wants a relationship with you that, that he, he's got a zeal of which he looks at your life. And he's saying, this is the time of God's, I'm coming to you, but there's things in the way here. But he so wants a communion and a love relationship with you and a depth of a personal relationship with you that, that sometimes we're blind to him even moving in our lives and this image of him weeping, and then he comes in with some anger, but again, because there, he, he, it's the loss of the fact that we were made for each other. We were made for this relationship. You were made to live for me, says the Lord. And, and, he, and he's weeping. And he starts overthrowing tables, all the obstacles that are in our way between him and us. And uh, you just sit in that for a moment because the, this, this, the intensity of the weeping and the intensity of, as some scholars say, it's almost. Near violence in fact, this is the closest we have in the whole New Testament of of Jesus being nearly violent Because it's touching something so deep and that depth is is, is the love of God for you And for me for people It's God so loving the world that he sent his only son and God coming down and, and wanting in that court of Gentiles wanting for us this relationship this communion this love giving and receiving of love that this is life the center of all of life And yet there's all these things in the way and we can't even see it happening And that 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 that, that passion of jesus I, I mean, I just sat with this. I've been with this for the last couple of weeks and just overwhelmed by that I don't know what to call it but zeal as john 2 says zeal for your house will consume it is zeal of jesus For relationship with human beings like you You may not think you're much he thinks you're plenty And so there's lots of applications of this. I want to make two. The first I want to make a broad application to just kind of general church life. But then I want to get personal into our lives. All right? Because on, on one level, a church is a place where people come to meet God, which is true. But when you come to Christ, you also then become the temple of God. There's no more physical temple. The temple of God is he dwells now in human beings. And he wants to cleanse that temple of tables. Got to get overturned. So there's space within us for this kind of communion. But uh, this idea of setting up tables, uh, which were supposed to make it easy for people to get to God, if you look at church life and history, very often the church has set up tables that, for people to get to God, but it's actually made it more difficult for people to get to God. So, for, and, and actually behind it, is, it's demonic. And if you've been around a while, you'll relate to some of the examples. Just like the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day had set up a religious system um, which is keeping people from god Sometimes we also, also do the same things I mean if you I make mean, churches go through Seasons and generations So there, there was a season of generation I remember mean, when I was young and people were fighting over Worship bands and and can you have an Not having organ in the church or Not singing from a hymn book You know or women ladies I came a pentecostal church background ladies had to wear That could not wear pants Or some play churches Jewelry okay you got to get to that table You're going to get to god Okay, men, you better wear suits. Or in some churches, you better not wear suits. You better not have an earring either or long hair. And you know what? Um, your politics, you better be a Democrat. Or you better be a Republican. You're going to really be saved. And, and so, and, and almost like this, these, these things besides getting to Jesus, these other things kind of get joined into it. And uh, oh, we had this insider language, you know. You know, kind of a vocabulary. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was in shock. Like everyone, there's a whole insider language. Words that we use, brother, Day, hey, brother, you know, and, and sister, you know, and I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you know. All I'm like, wow. Like, like, You know, and I said, man, this church thing is something else, you know. It was like, but it was like another culture, another language. And, and you had to kind of like, if you were going to make it, you had to like join the culture. And I said, all right, I want to get to Jesus. I'll do what I got to do, you know, but I'm trying to connect with him. And I have a friend who's a, a, a global church historian. He's been here a couple of times. Scott Sunquist and uh, went to school together many years ago. And his whole life work for the last thirty years has been studying global church history. And he's a missiologist, and, and, and he studies the movements of God around the world. And so I actually called him. I said, Scott, you know, help me, you know, what, what's your thought about all this? Oh, I have one more example before I go to Scott. I think a real killer for me was I. You know, I was taught like you got to carry your Bible to church. Like you got to like you got to you got to carry your Bible. Like, if you're not carrying a Bible, like there's something wrong here. OK, you're not really committed, you know, so, so now it's like, you know, people start using it. You know, they got their they got the Bible on their iPhone, you know, or on the iPad. And, uh, you know, but that doesn't count because you've got to be carrying your Bible, you know, and, and, and it's amazing how easy it is to set up some table about how it's going to work. And it happens very they start out. OK, but it kind of grows with time. You watch, you'll be the new Pharisees. It happens to you quick, you get a little bit of age. But anyway, my friend Scott and his life work about, I I I called him, I said, Scott, give me some examples in church history of of the church setting up tables. You know, where it became difficult for people to get to God. Oh, he had a lot of them. From Africa to Asia to Latin America, he was full of them. He said, when he was living in Singapore, he goes, there was an Arminian church, Arminia. They planted a church in Singapore where he was living. He says, and they did it in the language of 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 Arminian. And, but no one spoke Armenian in Singapore. It was Chinese or English. And he says, but it was the culture of Armenia and it was the language of Armenia. But they were going to hold on to that. And the problem is the church eventually became, he says, now it's a historical museum. They built this magnificent building, but there was no people. But they held on to their tables of how they were going to, you know, do it. And, he, and essentially he started talking about India, you know, and, and some Orthodox churches in India, which became so uh, enculturated in, in the Indian culture, Hindu culture, and their caste that as ethnic groups moved around, they, they, other Portuguese and others moved in the area, they could not really, they could not get in. Because there were certain ways of functioning that were so far into their culture that it basically became, it, it was it was a table that was too big to get through. Then he started going off of the American church, you know. And uh, you know, the U.S. church has become so enculturated in his view. He goes to follow Jesus. He's not a suffering servant. He's a successful entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, that American Christianity has often become like a business. And uh, at least if you look at it from other parts of the world, it's a very unique phenomenon, he says, you know, to watch it. But we can't even see it sometimes because we're so in it as a culture. But uh, his summary remark to me was interesting. He says, uh, The roadblock through history, which, uh, the, when the church has, it, the great, biggest roadblock, whenever, whenever the church has become powerful and rich, generally has become its downfall. Because now it had to hold on to things and be secure and have control. And, uh, and it's says a climax, really, you see, you see a great example of it in the middle ages, the church became very powerful in the West and people started buying indulgences to get to heaven. And the church was the political power of the day. And he goes in some ways, you know, you don't realize to be humble and poor like Jesus is your great gift. And I said, no, no, we're trying to get powerful and rich here at new life. All right. We're watching waiting for Superman. And they said, no, no, you don't realize there's a gift. And, uh, historically, if you look at it in, in the humility and the poverty of being a place where everybody comes There's no, Anybody comes in the court of Gentiles Nobody's holding on to anything here There's an openness and a beauty to it And uh, that's why, you know, I, I, I'm not against denominations I think God does raise up movements and denominations Whether it's Presbyterian or Baptist or Pentecostal You know, or Orthodox churches Or Roman Catholic churches Or, you know, Anglican, you name it And the ideal is that people can get to God, right? But sometimes, even those denominations and churches Can become, they keep you from God You want to get saved? Be a Baptist first, you know and we can do the same thing in New Life. And we've got to be very careful, right? That, I mean, we're only a vehicle for people to have access to Jesus, to have communion with Jesus. We have a great worship team here, tremendous worship experience. But the purpose of worship is to lead us to communion with Jesus. That's the goal, right? It's not that we're focused on them, that they're phenomenal. No, it's to get us to Jesus. Same thing with, with I mean, six like sermons or, or Sunday evening. I mean, it's not that, oh, this guy's really clever, I mean, he's a great speaker. No, it's to help us connect with this living Jesus. Same thing with small groups. Same thing with community development and ministry to the poor. The whole goal is connect people with the living Jesus. We exist to give people access to grace, to love of God, to connection with, with him. But it's very easy to tip that scale. And, uh, and so my hope and my prayer for new life as we kind of go through seasons is that may we be, you know, biblically centered, obviously, but relevant and, and culturally sensitive that when something gets in the way, we throw it out. We overturn the table. Say, you know what? This is not helping anymore. Let's throw this table over so people can get to Jesus and be very careful that we don't get in the way or get stuck in our ways as we move through the age, ages and, you know, next generations come up. It's a very, very, it takes tremendous sensitivity and leadership, you know, by the Holy Spirit. But with that said, let's get personal. That's easy to talk in generalities. It's safer. But uh, let's talk about us for a minute. because. Jesus said, you know, Jesus fulfilled the temple. I mean, he, he, he gave his body and blood. He, 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 is, he broke down the dividing wall. Now the Holy of Holies is accessible to everybody and anybody. And then when you come to Jesus Christ, you receive him as your Lord and sa- Savior. He comes to live inside of you. You are the temple of God. And I'm the temple of God. And that temple needs to get cleansed. There are tables to be overthrown in that temple. And, and uh, money changers to be driven out that get in the way. And so... The question is this, what tables, sometimes Jesus comes in our life and he starts overturning tables. Like things happen in our lives and we're kind of set in our ways. We're moving along. And all of a sudden, like he overturns a table, you're out of a job or he overturns a table like that relationship, like that man or woman, you love it. That's over. Or that friendship betrayal, that's over. Or you find yourself in a a disorientation. You end up having to move from one place to another place or one city or one country to another. And you're like, what happened? Because he just overturned a table that maybe was not a bad table, but for you, it became an obstacle. And so he helps you out of love for you. He actually overthrows it for you. But even if he overturns the table for you, you still then got to make a choice. Are you going to follow this process and overthrow the rest of them? Because Jesus goes in the temple and he, you know, he overturns some tables, you know, he disrupts everything, but just so you know, he left and things aren't right, right back to the way they were. I mean, he, he came in, did his thing, it was a symbolic prophetic act, but he did not bring in a massive army to wipe out the place. He, didn't, he did not do that. In the same way, he, he may help us out by sending some difficulty our way or setback, but then we've got to make a decision, what tables is Jesus asking us to overturn? Because once the religious leaders saw Jesus overthrow a few, they had a lot more to, they had a lot more to overturn. they had a lot more work to do, which they chose not to do because this is very disruptive now i don 't know how to say this nicely, but when we think of this passage of Jesus coming in the temple and overturning tables and driving out the obstacles those buying and selling, this is not a small thing for us to look at because this is not a little change in your life or my life. This is an entire revolution. This is I like to say this is not like rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. Okay, this is a whole new ship. This is a whole new orientation of your life and my life around relationship with him, around communion with him as a center of all of my life. This is this friends is huge. And um, and so what does it mean for us to overthrow tables? Now, there's lots of things. I mean, obviously. If you're carrying some sin in your life or something you know that you're involved in that is repugnant to God, you know it's sin. You just know it. You don't need someone to tell you. You know you're involved in something that, that's, that's damaging your relationship with Him. I don't care if it's greed, you know, adultery, embezzlement, whatever it might be. You, you hate someone's guts and you're not asking God to help you with it or bitterness. You're not at least saying, God, here I am. Can, can you help me? You're, you just shut down. You're not going to humble yourself to this person. You're done. Well, you shut down, and you know, that's something, that's a table, you got to bring to Jesus. And they ask for forgiveness, they ask him to overturn it. But I think a more common one for many of us in this room is the issue of, of distraction. That we are so deeply distracted by life and overloaded. That we just have all this stuff in our lives, and what happens is just, there's just not a lot of space. There's not a lot of room for Jesus. And so he kind of gets crowded out. It's not that we don't love him, we think he's fantastic. It's just that there's a lot going on here in this life of mine. There's a lot of tables set up. And they're not sins, they're just everywhere. And I'm having a hard time. I'd say that, you know, Richard Foster is one of the great authors on, on spirituality. And they asked him, what is the greatest challenge to the church in North America today? He goes, without question, the greatest challenge is distractibility. No question about it. He says, the culture is so changed. And thus, these, that's why these disciplines of silence, solitude, and stillness are the most critical. Because there is none of that in our culture. And so when the church joins in being an entertainment center, it's doubly difficult. And people go, go nowhere. And that's why I, you know, as I ponder this for myself. You know, I, I, you know, What tables is Jesus asking you to overturn? I, like many of you, I, I have lots of dreams and visions. And I, I love life. And so I easily say yes to things, and get overcommitted sometimes, or set goals, more goals than I can actually accomplish in my very limited life. And so before I know it, I find that my life is squeezed, I've got too many tables set up. And there's not the space needed for the kind of communion and, again, a life of prayer, of relationship with Jesus out of which everything flows. And before I know it, I'm feeling very constricted and not spacious. Then, of course, you've got technology you know, the iPhone, you know, the email, the Facebook and the blogging. And it's amazing talking to some people. It's like, I, I've noticed I'm reading more and more about people fasting from technology, you know, not food technology for a day or for even a week and talking about how it's like coming off crack. And I'm like, but I'm beginning to actually understand it. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I got it. Like, cause every spare moment it's like, you know, let me do. Let me send a text. Let me and, and, and all ages now. It used to be younger kids, you know, teenagers, my daughters, and now it's like it's everybody. It's folks in retirement communities, you know. And it's like, so pray. I mean, I who's got? I'm just checking out what's going on, and and um and, and the and the impact of that of and I I think technology is fabulous. I think it's a great gift, and but but it's a double edge, isn't it? And and, and like anything that's a great gift has a double edge to it. And can become a new yoke. And so whether you're for a profession of music, you know, or whatever it might be, you have goals to, to go up in your, your profession, you know, in your job. Or you have goals for your family, or your marriage, or financial goals. And, and those are good things. The problem is that even these good things can get to a place where they're crowding out Jesus. Because life is meant to be lived with him at the center, out of which all else flows. But it's very easy to have all else flowing with Jesus on the outside. And, it is, and I think this passage is is, is speaking to us. That it is, it is it is a whole life change to have the temple and space clean in your life. Now I, you know, we talk about a new life about something called a rule of life, and we have it around. If you become a member or join the family at New Life, we invite you to be part of a to, to invite to be part of a monastic rule, and we've actually oriented our life very intentional. Around a monastic rule you see it up there on your right. and You'll hear all about it if you come through or join the new life fellowship family And the point of it's being very intentional at the center of your life that We orient around four areas, you know prayer rest relationships and work activity But we realized over the year that that's kind of a general rule and it's good that a community has it like ours But that every person at new life has to craft their own personal rule of life now a rule is, is, is an ancient word that means trellis Think of a grapes or on a trellis to help them grow upward and outward. And that we all have a way that we follow Jesus. Every one of us in this room. A way that we structure our lives. And like a trellis, the question is, is is it trellis helping you make space for Jesus and overturn tables? Or is this trellis not sufficient and needs to be changed? And so we now run a, a seminar at New Life. And one of our goals is that every person at New Life will learn the basic skill of how do I craft a personal rule or trellis of life that fits me my unique circumstances my unique personality my unique calling and season of life and it's gonna be different for every one of us and so what you have in front of you back of you this is my my personal rule of life and and it's got to be kind of adapted and moved you know shaped along the way but uh, you know the center is the most important that it's about that my life the center of my life is to is to Live in receiving the love of God and then hopefully offering the love of God through what I do. And so the question is, how do I balance? This is about balance, rhythms, intentionality. Um, and that recognize that there's tremendous forces coming against us all from the world, the flesh, and the evil one and satanic forces. And that if you're not intentional about living in the love of God, living a life of communion, you don't have a chance in our culture. You'll be swept away. And New Life, we believe that. So, I, So, for example, in mine... You know, so here's some areas for me. So let's say rest. You know, I, week my, for my wife and I, weekly Sabbath, very, very critical. You know, for me, a 24-hour period, stop, rest, delight, contemplate God. You know, well-planned vacations. You know, very, very important. Uh, exercising. You know, daily exercising, walking a few miles a day. You know, hiking, nature, beach. You know, a little physical therapy for the foot. I have foot problems. Recent. You know, I have a lot of help from physical therapists in our church coming to me today. That's really helpful. Work with a spiritual director. Reading broadly and widely, you know. But I, but this line here for me is limiting social media. So for me, I do Facebook and I, I do it during work hours, you know. But I have to limit it, you know. How I handle it and you know, limited speaking, you know, externally. So if I get if I say yes too much before I know it, my life's out of balance, and therefore I'm, I'm trying to find him because I'm so overloaded. Um, same thing with work. You know, I got work, preaching, teaching, leading staff, cat's vision. But it's very easy for this this I, this box can be huge. It's so large that there's not a lot of space in here for anything else. And so the question is, how do I balance my life, create a rhythm in my life in light of the limits God's given me so that Jesus is in the center? So I'm overturning tables that don't belong here so I can live a life, you know, in his joy and contentment. So anything like relationships, you know, for me, obviously, my marriage with Jerry's number one, you know, as, as a vow. We've got four girls. I want to be engaged with my four daughters. Uh, even though they're growing up into young adults, bi-weekly time with friends, you know, space for that, for some fun, and monthly coaching, we co-lead a small group, present to staff, vacation with her extended family, you know, regular contact with my siblings. But these things just don't happen. And so it's that intentionality to step back and say, let me really look at this thing and sort out how can I create space so that my the base of my life is the love of God, is communion with Him. And uh, it's, a, it's a two-hour you know exercise so actually the next one's in December 7th note your calendar it's online somewhere it is worth coming out for an evening and just we lead you in how do you form this for yourself and take a step back at your life and begin to slowly make some shifts um, but every but if there was a word I, I'd say the word would be simplicity that how do I simplify my life so it's not so cluttered that's the great challenge I'm, I'm amazed at how many people come to me and talk about television not against television, but the hours consumed with television, you know, and, and the impact of just even stopping television. And, um, you know, it's just like we've not had television for years. I don't know, 10, 12 years. We watch shows by, by video. And we want to watch them, but we can't imagine having that cluttering in our, in our life at this point, just because of space, space and priorities for ourselves. And, and our children have grown up without it. They don't even miss it. If they want to watch something. They can watch it on the computer, but it's a matter of saying, no, we want Jesus somehow in the center here. And not a television set. And so we choose to use it as needed. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but for us as a family, it was a, has been a very core, core value for the last 10, 12 years. I have an effort to somehow keep Jesus in, in the center. So I don't know what simplicity looks like for you. One woman, Carol, you know, in an um, article I read was very interesting. She gave up shopping, for Lent at least, and just shopped for her family, for food once a week. And she was after that 40 days... She just talked about how just realizing every time she went to purchase something like clothes in a store, she realized, you know, she wrote, she said, "I'll let this wait, Lord. You're enough for me for now." And by the end of that forty days, she said, "I realized at the end of Lent, my life was so less hectic and so less congested. I had all this extra time for conversation with people and for God. She just had no idea that that had become a table for her. Now, if you're married, you cannot throw your spouse out as a table, (laughs) and if you have children, you cannot throw a little." you know, little Leroy out the door either, okay? Sorry, it's a table that stays. But it's got to be managed differently, all right? And and, and you work it. But uh, really, we're talking about a, a, a life of simplicity in the midst of a culture that knows nothing of it. So that you actually have space in your life for Jesus in the center. And you're growing into a person of depth. Now, do you understand that in Jesus, when Jesus came to the temple, they did not receive this message. They, they, were, they had too much clutter. And they did not recognize the time of God's coming to them. This was God in the flesh coming to them. They didn't see it. And the whole, if you read the story, in 70 AD, the whole Jerusalem temple, like Jesus said, got wiped out. There were consequences for them missing it. Make no mistake about it. There are great consequences when we let all the clutter and the tables fill our lives and Jesus get pushed aside there are consequences that we, we do not grow to become the men and women he's called us to be. The kind of joy and vitality of life, of being present to the incredibleness of the world in which we live, we, we miss it. And we're so preoccupied that the courage needed to actually even be compassionate and to give our lives a gift to other people, it's not coming out of us. And you were made to give a gift of your life to the world around you. It's not happening because there's so much clutter and things are so fuzzy. And that whole eternal perspective is, is lost. So Hear this, friends. God's got something for you. God's got something for me. And he he longs, he's zealous to have this kind of communion. He didn't bring you to church to get religious. He brought you here for personal, deep relationship with him. That he's your life. And out of that flows your life out there in the world. And he's, he's passionate for it. It's going to look different for every one of us in this room. But you were made to make a gift of your life to the world. You were not put in this planet for nothing. You were put here to be a blessing to the nations, to be a gift. And uh, it just takes intentionality. There's no way around it. And so let me ask you this as we close here. What tables might Jesus be overturning in your life today? What might be one or two? What you think is the worst thing that ever happened to you, it's actually the best. Because he's trying to get your attention and get my attention. But perhaps more importantly is what tables is he asking you to, to overturn. And you say, I, I can see it, Pete. I, I can see it. I just can't do it. I don't have the energy. Well, um, that, that's why we have the body of Christ. You know, some, some of us, we're, so, we're in such a hole. We say, I know this table's got to get removed. I just don't know how to do it. It's, almost like, it's like being in a depression sometimes. I'm in such a deep hole, depression. I, I can't even lift up the table to overthrow it. And uh, that's why we want to help you. And uh, we have prayer teams at the end. We're going to pray for you. That's the beauty of prayer. It just releases the power of God. And it's interesting, in verse 23 and 24, Jesus gives his promise. And he, he just cursed the fig tree, because basically he's saying, you're like a fig tree, Israel. You have the appearance of having all this fruit, but underneath the leaves, there's nothing there. It's all superficial religion. There's no depth of communion with God. And uh, then Jesus says, in verse 23, he goes, I tell you this, have faith in God. He goes, "If, if with a little bit of prayer, you cry out to God goes just a word like i cursed this fig tree with a word just a word if you he goes if you can say to this mountain go move from here to there you say god change my life help me get rid of these tables he says it'll be done for you what's in what's impossible for you is not impossible for god and he invites us to faith and prayer and power of god and he goes you may think it's impossible for your life to change you don't understand just a little word god will take the rest of it he'll do he'll do it for you so thank you so much for uh with me today on this podcast, and I'd like to invite you to pray with me as we close uh, a prayer that I pray almost every day, if not every day, and it's the the Our Father, especially the first half of the Our Father, and it's Our Father, and O Lord, Our, and I bless the church around the world, and who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, Lord, may the whole world give praise to you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, I pray and we pray together that your church in every continent, in every corner of the world, Lord, uh, where your church is gathered, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in her. And Lord, may through your people, uh, the beauty of the gospel, your love for the world flow out, cleanse your church, Lord, heal your church, deliver us, Father Move, remove the tables that uh, are keeping us in bondage from being a place through from which your Holy Spirit dwells and overflows, and uh, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So blessings to all of you uh, on this podcast today, and again, let me invite you to uh, download that uh, free ebook, uh, Church Culture Revolution, at EmotionallyHealthy.org. Church Culture. That's EmotionallyHealthy.org slash Church Culture. Blessings, everybody. Have a wonderful day.